Papa, what's going on? I want to be happy again. I want to go back to the Senate, Daddy. I'll be good. I'll talk to Kamala Harris. I promise. But there's so many men out there acting like monsters. Mr. Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, the president. Daddy, has this been happening forever? Have I both fostered and benefited from a culture of systemic oppression? No? Well, that's a relief. I love you, Daddy. Live in New York. It's Saturday night. It's Saturday Night Live. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week, we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 5 of SNL with host Tiffany Haddish and musical guest Taylor Swift. I'm John Murray, and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Tiffany Haddis! Before we get into the episode recap, I want to bat around some feedback we received from listener Pretty in Pink. She says, The audience was off tonight. There were a lot of solid jokes that didn't elicit any reaction. Do you think it was the delivery of the jokes, or was it the audience itself? Personally, I believe that when a megastar like Taylor Swift shows up as a musical guest, it's possible for the audience to be composed of fans who are waiting in line to see her, rather than the comedy itself. All right, Steve. So do you think the audience tonight was a little lopsided because Taylor Swift was in the house? Do you think that affected the energy of the show? Yeah, that would be my guess as well. So I'm in full agreement with Pretty in Pink. Okay. I didn't actually pick up on it myself. When the cold open started, Beck was particularly fumbly. So I noticed that right from the get-go, there were a couple jokes where he actually like paused for applause. Like he thought he had hit the joke and he thought the audience was going to react and it just went over their head because he just didn't like run at it the right way. Yeah. So I did notice a couple of those things and I just chalked it up to a really fumbly delivery. I didn't think too much about the fact that there was probably just, yeah, a lot of Taylor Swift fans that maybe weren't as into the the politics of the cold open. So I had a totally different take on it, but I think pretty and pink might be onto something now in hindsight, looking back on it, it seems like throughout the night, there were a few moments where there were, there was some content that probably would have played for an older audience, or maybe I don't want to say a more sophisticated audience. Cause there's nothing wrong with Taylor Swift fans, but probably would have played for a more traditional SNL audience that maybe we weren't getting as much reaction from tonight. So yeah, there could be something to that. And it's not just how insanely popular Taylor Swift is, but also how popular she is in contrast to Tiffany Haddish. Yeah, no, I'm sure if someone actually surveyed the line, it would be 10 Taylor Swifts to one Tiffany Haddish that would have been willing to camp out in, what was it, like 20 degree weather there last week. So yeah, Yeah. there was probably a lot of Taylor Swift fans that were willing to endure, whereas maybe not so much for Tiffany Haddish. But considering how she performed tonight, if she ever comes back, I have a feeling she'll probably have a, a much bigger cheering section. Yeah, for sure. Next time. Yeah. And with that said, let's just jump right into the show. Cold open. Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore is asked to play ball with the Trump administration. This wasn't bad. There was no Trump, Mm -hmm. which is fine. We don't have to see him all the time. Yep. And yeah, I totally think they went with the right piece of news. You know, we've been seeing a lot of sexual misconduct Mm -hmm. coming up in the news from uh, people in the public eye. So 
it addresses all that, you know, while also keeping it political, which is, you know, how cold opens are, are going these days. Sure. I felt like it was probably good in concept, but I was having a lot of trouble with just how fumbly it was. It was fumbly. Yeah, it was, it was very fumbly. So that, that hurts it right out of the gate. It saps a little bit of the energy. So it's a little bit harder to invest in the jokes. And so I just, I didn't take much away from it. Generally speaking, I'm finding the political cold opens to not really be generating a lot of laughs. They have a few good moments and Kata's session. She's always got a little bit there, particularly with how smitten she was with the Alabama hijinks of Roy Moore. Like I liked that they were like kindred spirits, but she still had to like be the enforcer of the administration. I thought there was some humor in, in how they were framing things, but it was just a, a whole lot of material for a few jokes and a lot of fumbling in between. And so for me, I'm not going to count it as a win. Yeah. And they're going the way of the, the Chicago bulls in the nineties, <laughs> okay. you know, where their game plan was just pass the ball to Michael. Sure. In this case, it would be passing the ball over to Kate McKinnon. Right. You know, it ended up being a one man show starring Jeff sessions by the end of it. And you know, that stuff was funny, but it just seems a little bit shoehorned. Yeah, I could see that. I think that what they're probably saying is, well, we don't have Alec this week. So what is our our next best option for an instant crowd pleaser? Mm -hmm. And so that's where obviously, yeah, you're right. (laughs) This is where, where Kate's going to be able to to come in and uh, save the day, hopefully, but she still needs the material. It still needs to have a hook. It still has to have an angle. There needs to be a little bit more there. And I just don't feel like they have a really good beat on what's funny with politics right now. So yeah, even Kate, I don't think was quite able to get this uh this working as well as i think we would have liked yeah you know and snl is lucky to have cast members like kate that can Mm -hmm. elevate stale uninspired material right but at the same time you don't want them to have that set of training wheels on yeah yeah all right so let's not dwell anymore on the cold open let's jump into the show so for the monologue we get tiffany haddish offering some tiff tips about yo thang thang and how to get your money's worth from a four thousand dollar alexander mcqueen dress this is pretty much stand up and uh, she's out there carrying it on her own. What'd you think? Did she pull it off? I think so. And pulled it off in her own way. Mm-hmm. I can see why she's getting popular and, and why what she does is catching on because sure. she's got this infectious, lovable energy. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of her jokes is it's not even like funny thoughts or observations. It's just funny delivery. Yeah. There's attitude there. There's sass. That's, that's helping to sell a lot of the material. Yeah. And that's not a dig at her. That's, you know, there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. I liked it too. I liked it a lot. Um, I'm thinking about Larry David last week and how I just kind of felt like that wasn't coming together. He just wasn't able to kind of make that material soar. And then I look at what she was bringing this week and the energy, like not just in the delivery of the jokes, but she just decides to bring it home with this, like over the top Southern religious revival dance (laughs) thing. And yeah, she owned it. She was, she totally had command of the stage. She had people's attention. She had the energy that you were talking about and it really, really worked. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I was laughing out loud with a lot of her, her material. And, and that's not too bad. Not too bad for a first timer. Yeah. And she's like, she's so cute, but she's also so gangster. (laughs) Yeah. There's a bit of edge there. Yeah. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Moving on our first live sketch. During a Death Fight 12 tournament, Pone Donkey accidentally chooses Boo Boo Jeffries as his fighter. I think we were both of the age where we were growing up with Mortal Kombat. Right. Absolutely. Anybody who is our age and grew up with that knows that's exactly where they got <laughs> the visual cues for this. Yeah. It's spot on. They're even, you know, referencing specific characters. 
but yeah, that's why I love this sketch because they got so many of those uh, subtle details of that game correct, like the the looped stance mm-hmm. that kind of plays over and over, again. <laughs> and it starts to get repetitive if you let them stand still too long because yep. it's just like a three second little head nod or something. Yeah, the little sway back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Or as uh, you know, Boo Boo Jeffries does with that. I don't know. It was like that Kevin Hart dance when he was that little girl as the Pope. All right. That little actress. Now I'm going to use that as an opportunity to jump in here for a sec. So a couple points here. First off, Mikey day, he was on Seth Meyers a couple weeks ago and he mentioned that this was actually a sketch that him and Brian Tucker worked on for a Kevin Hart episode a few years ago where the whole notion was Kevin Hart is going to be the over the top character in the video game and his superpowers are going to be you know, the ridiculous, enthusiastic things that Kevin Hart would say. Okay. And they inserted Tiffany Haddish because she's got, you know, a similar infectious energy where she could sell those kind of ridiculous combo moves or what, you know, the things that they want her to say and sell. But this is a repurposed sketch that uh, never made it out of the writer's room previously, but he finally was able to find a host that it was a good fit for. So anyways, that's a, a little bit of the backstory on that guy. Well, yeah, I could totally see Kevin Hart doing that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that would be right up his alley. So makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone's interested, I'm going to put a link to the Seth Meyers interview where Mikey day is explaining the Genesis of that sketch and talks a little bit about what they were hoping to get Kevin Hart to do in it. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's interesting though, that in the interview, him and Seth Meyers both agree that it's such a lackluster concept that it should rightly never make it to air. And then here we are a couple weeks later and it's on TV. So <laughs> good for them for being able to figure out how to resurrect it. And also a shout out to Brian Tucker. Cause he worked on the original version of that as well. Way to go, Brian. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add. I was charmed by, like you said, all of the video game visual cues that they, they worked into it, the flourishes of the combo and the overlays with the power meters. And like you said, the stance, uh, Mikey day in particular at the end where he would claim victory and get that in-game close-up shot, you would see his eyes kind of staring out into space (laughs) and you know, his head is bobbing in a very artificial way. And he is really channeling the CG rendered characters from a game like that, where they just weren't sophisticated enough to have eyes that would, you know, move around independent of the head or whatever. So you would get that kind of, you know, thousand yard stare from them. And he was pulling in all that. And I have to imagine that those are conscious decisions that he's making for his performance and it all played very true. And so I really, really thought that there was some attention to detail there that was spectacular. Yeah. He wasn't going for like motion capture. He was doing Dreamcast polygons. Yes. Yes. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) This is definitely mid nineties era, 16 bit (laughs) 2d fighting games. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff there. I I enjoy this just purely for the nostalgia and the attention to detail. Overall, I mean, once you get the joke, there's nowhere great for it to really go. But at the end of it, I was grinning. I I was really, really having a lot of fun with this. So win for me. Oh, me too. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Next up, we get a pre-tape. Rejected screen test for Disney's live action Lion King remake. I always enjoy when they do these. Uh, It's a very recognizable staple. That comes up several times a season. Mm-hmm. The auditions for an upcoming movie. Yeah. A lot of great choices for impressions. Um, some were a little bit more obscure. Like Sterling K. Brown is doing well, but he's still not, you know, a George Clooney or a sure. Matt Damon. And that goes the same for Kristen Schaal. That said, they were excellent impressions. Uh, Heidi Gardner's Kristen Schaal was ridiculously good. It was uncanny. Yeah. So that's what stole the the sketch for me. I thought that that was the highlight moment. And 
I hate to say it because this was something where Melissa Villasenor would have had an opportunity to maybe shine a moment where Chris Red maybe would have had a moment to shine. And we would have been hoping for Luke Knoll in the mix there too. And the only memorable thing that I really take away from it is Heidi Gardner's Christian Shaw, which is on top of really good showings from the last few episodes from her. So this is just one more indication that I think Heidi Gardner is going to be doing really well with the show. Yeah. And we got such a great cast at this current moment for impression oriented material. Yeah. We're in such a much better position than a few seasons ago when we had like Brooks Whelan doing slash (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) definitely a lot more tools in their toolbox for impressions. I just hope they don't keep going back to this well too, too frequently because we've already had uh, that uh, price is right impression vehicle last week. We have an impression vehicle this week. If we start getting like one of these every week or two, that's going to, I think that's going to get old pretty quick, but yeah, nonetheless enjoyed it for what it was moving on. We get another live sketch, a message from the democratic national committee. You know what? Bit lukewarm on this one, probably because it's pretty much one joke. Okay. What this is saying in general is that there's really no figure in that party that is personable and, you know, (laughs) doesn't come off like some kind of wooden robot. Sure. So that's pretty much all we're dealing with, with this sketch. Yeah. I thought it wore thin pretty quick. I enjoyed the observation as well. Like they can't even make themselves relatable under the best conditions where people would want to flock to them. (laughs) Yeah. But there wasn't a whole lot else to latch onto. And and even weaving in the Hillary storyline where she's going incognito to try and rally support for another run in four years or bringing back uh, Bernie Sanders and him being too cranky and unwilling to give up his, you know, youth vote. Uh, none of that was just like exceptionally interesting. So I, more than anything, I think I was just kind of bored by it. Like it wasn't bad. It just wasn't really exciting or it didn't, it just didn't catch me off guard and say, Oh wow, that's so fun and smart that I'm really happy that they figured out a really fresh idea of how to present, you know, the democratic party. I just didn't really walk away feeling like there was anything memorable about it. So eh. no, because we saw it so many times, it was the main joke to go to with Hillary. Yeah. She's out of touch. She's unrelatable. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw so much of that when Hillary was running. So it is definitely not fresh. It just makes you wonder, like, are they just lacking vision in their political (laughs) uh, comedy writing right now? And I I just, I feel like that's probably a big part of where the hole is in the show right now. So anyways, this, this didn't make me feel great about what the show's producing politically, but I'm not going to say it was bad by any stretch. It, It was perfectly serviceable. Just, yeah, not, not anything terribly interesting for me. Yeah. Agreed. All right, let's move on. We get another pre-tape. Jost and Beck plot a love trap during the annual SNL Masquerade Ball, our latest outing in the Saturday Night Live cinematic universe. I love when David Lynch comes to guest direct these these sketches. <laughs> just the surrealness that goes through this, oh, like sure. the SNL Masquerade <laughs> and and just how fast this kid is growing up. And <laughs> Little Lauren's off to college. Yep. Yeah, and they seem to get even more bizarre Mm -hmm. every time they put out one of these. And I'm just loving this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they found that they can push things a little further and people are going to eat it up because the more it can stand in stark contrast to how the real life versions of the SNL, you know, production and crew and everything would actually behave in real life. The more they're able to diverge from that, that ridiculousness, contrasted with how realistic everything in it looks is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. That absurdity 
is really, really fun. And it isn't getting old. Every time they revisit this, I'm still loving it. So yeah, this was definitely a win for me. One of the high points of the night, actually. I, I just, I find these so charming. Yeah. And I was amazed at Beck's uh, impression of Leslie. Like I was like, whoa, is, who is that? I don't even know. <laughs> sure. yeah. It is kind of a trope of the real sort of movies that they're, they're playing up here where you should be able to recognize someone under the mask quite easily, right? Like it's just a mask covering the eyes, but for some reason, all the intrigue is able to play out without anyone getting wise to who the real people are. That does happen in movies where, yeah, there's just no way that in real life they wouldn't be revealed. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun. Again, just that absurd stuff that's so over the top that, yeah, it's so, so enjoyable. Totally. What'd you think of Taylor Swift? Tonight she performs Ready For It and Call It What You Want. Yeah, I thought they were good tunes. I could enjoy a little bit of Taylor Swift, you know, in a small dosage. (laughs) Okay. But I do like her. Sure. I do think she's a great performer, writes good songs. But aside from that, I, I enjoyed the set design and the production uh, quality of the, of the stage on, on both songs, good lighting more so in the second one, first song ready for it, you know, with those four dancers, mm-hmm. I thought it was really effective for how simple it was, Sure, but it didn't feel simple. Yeah. Felt pretty energetic to me. Yeah. It was just done with the right amount of style okay. to keep it interesting. What'd you think of the second song? I thought it was great. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And, um, uh, that's the thing. I like her higher energy songs. And I also like her ballad type songs about heartbreak and <laughs> sure. all those young lady things that happen. Okay. You can relate. <laughs> it speaks to you. <laughs> no, I just like to hear it, I guess. Yeah. Fair enough. I enjoyed the second song a little more than the first, like the, the first one, it was interesting to watch. Like there was a lot of energy and a lot of performance. So, you know, that was engaging, but the second one, it kind of felt like what I would have expected to hear in a coffee shop in the mid nineties. And I kind of liked having that vibe a little bit stripped back. It's still a, like a pop song at its core, but it just felt a little more sincere how they were presenting it. And I, I just, I kind of liked the presentation of it. Yeah. There was something that kind of warmed my heart about what I was seeing. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was, that was pretty good. Totes. All right, let's uh, take a look at Weekend Update. For the opening salvo, Che decides he needs to give Trump some props for a solid tweet burn response to Kim Jong-un, and then uh, Jost and Che go on a sex monster rant. Uh, some interesting material tonight. What'd you think of the opening salvo? Uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Definitely enjoyed uh, Che throwing Trump a bone. <laughs> yeah. Admitting that uh, that short and fat comment was kind of actually funny. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is what, how Che feels about Trump. Like if you've seen a stand up, he says that he likes Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think he should be president, but he's someone he would want to hang out with just to like laugh at the, the stuff that comes out of his mouth. Sure. <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me that he would enjoy this kind of stuff coming from Trump. Sure. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought this was pretty solid. I enjoyed it. As much as I love Louis C.K. and I hate, you know, the news that broke this week, I do think it was pretty good that they didn't shy away from including him in all of the, you know, sex scandal stuff that they were joking on tonight. He's fair game at this point, and that's a, a real shame, and it breaks my heart to to see it. But uh, I think uh, all the sex monster jokes were were perfectly appropriate for the craziness that's unfolding right now. And uh, yeah, I thought they were pretty on point. I thought their delivery was sharp. I thought everything was really good about the opening salvo. Yeah, and you know they were going to touch on it. I mean, we lost half of Hollywood since last week. 
Yeah, it's it's just that Louis C.K. is kind of like a friend of the show and a New York comedian. Like, there's a lot of kinship there. Yeah. But, you know, fair's fair. And, uh, yeah, they decided to go full steam, and I think it worked. I think it worked really well. Definitely. Uh, he had that coming. You can't really complain no. after what's come out. Yeah, totally fair, totally reasonable. But funny jokes. I think that's what made it work for me is that the material was pretty solid as far as I'm concerned. For that kind of topic, I felt like they found a few good moments there. So that worked for me. Funny jokes. Yep. Funny, funny. First feature, Cecily Strong comes out as Claire from HR with her annual sexual harassment guidelines seminar. (laughs) Yeah, I really liked it. Um, Cecily came out with very flustered energy. (laughs) Yes. You know, it created the right question in my mind. It's like, oh, what's got her so stressed out? (laughs) And yeah, that became quite apparent with, uh, with this quiz she was doing. Yep. It was a really clever way of saying... Yeah, this stuff should be obvious, guys. Like, why are you taking it out at work? Why are you? <laughs> why are these things making the headline? Like, how about you just not do that obviously wrong stuff? <laughs> uh, that's pretty strong material that that they were able to come up with for that. Yeah, it's a very organic idea because mm-hmm. you can imagine, like, you know, with all that's going on, like at the Weinstein Company, like, geez, HR. <laughs> sure, yes. You can see why someone from HR with all this going on would be showing up with receipts stuck to her neck. <laughs> yeah. Totally disheveled, totally overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Their world is literally ending. This is Armageddon from their perspective. Uh, yeah, it really was brilliant. I got to give it credit for being a very smart vehicle to get into these topics. You know, when I harp on weekend updates, sometimes about having an agenda that they put before the joke, this is the opposite. This is where, yeah, they have something that they want to say and it needs to be said and it is the headline of the week and it really is important that they figure out a way to comment on something, but they find something really inspired to wrap it in so that the joke is still there. It's not just a rant. It is uh, a way of presenting these ideas in a funny, palatable, digestible form that you walk away feeling almost like educated and amused at the same time. And that really is the genius of what they were able to come up with here that they, you know, they can't always get it exactly right. But I, I felt like this really was that balance that I hope to see from, from update when they have a, a heavy topic that they need to get into for sure. So this was a serious win for me. Yep. I agree. All right. After that, we get a quick little walk on Chris red comes out to Harold Tiffany and her expensive dress. And that kind of just like comes and goes. And then we're into our second feature of the night. Keenan, as LeVar Ball, he's back to shamelessly promote his son, Lakers rookie Lonzo Ball, and his overpriced sneakers. We saw LeVar Ball in one of the Weekend Update summer features. Did we want him back? Like, was he a strong enough new character that we wanted him back at the desk? I liked him the first time, but I feel like this time around, it was even better. Okay. I was really into this one. I thought it was hilarious. Keenan was on fire. Just the delivery and... Just the sheer ridiculousness of what comes out of this LeVar guy's mouth and the claims he makes. It's so over the top and hilarious. I just love that super exaggerated comedy. Okay. Uh, Keenan definitely sells it. No doubt. There's not a lot of people that could make this material work as well as he does. He has that energy and commitment that just really makes it fly. I don't need to see him again. I enjoyed seeing him. I just... I have a feeling that there's not a whole lot of new directions they can take this character. So uh, if we don't see him again, I'm okay with that. If they find something inspired, so be it. But I'm glad that we did get one more outing where the entire SNL audience got to enjoy what Keenan can do with such silly material. (laughs) Yeah, it's a treat. Back half of the show. 
we get the last black unicorn and she is offering some troubling insights into the future of a young adventurer. This is totally one of those sketches where, you know, it went to a lot of strange places just because it had endless options. Mm -hmm. I think it was fun and it was amusing. And I think Tiffany really sold it. Like she came out really trying to make that character fun and work, but this is really throwaway to me. I don't, I didn't feel like this was a high point for the night. Not a high point. No. So let's not harp on it. Let's get into our next live sketch. We get Tamika is too inept to host get woke with Tamika with your host Tamika. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What I think the main inspiration of this is, um, these radio stations in the U S that are funded by Russia. Okay. (laughs) It's a real thing of their public access radio stations that are funded and they are, um, basically meant for, for any citizen who feels like they have something to say in protest of, of our government or whatever. Right. It's kind of Russia's way of stirring the pot and getting people talking about what problems they have with America. Mm -hmm. And this one is sponsored by Breitbart news and stuff (laughs) and Russia itself. I kind of think that's what they were uh, referring to. Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely baked in there. I, I got the same sense. My thinking was that, she's too inept to realize that she's an unwitting pawn of these right-wing interests like Breitbart. They're happy to fund her show because she makes the left cause seem ridiculous because she's ridiculous. Yes. So I, I was getting a, a sense of that. And I think that's probably, yeah, part of the underpinnings of what they were hoping to say with the sketch. The big vibe that I got from it though, which was amusing. And I wish the sketch itself had held together a little bit better because I think at its core, it had some really, really funny ideas was a very Brian fellows esque quality to how she tackles the show (laughs) where she's too simple and too inept to be able to really understand what people are saying to her or react to it. So she's always on the verge of getting frustrated and defended by these things that she just can't quite understand. So her simple nature and the problems that that creates for the show, there's a lot of potential comedy there. And I feel like they were just scratching the surface of what they could have done with it. Yeah. Yeah. She's such a, disagreeable person (laughs) yes it's just ridiculous it's hilarious to watch really so you can understand why russia would be throwing money at her and saying your voice needs to be heard yeah people need to be as woke as you tamika you get out there and you speak your truth like i i i could totally see the scenario that gets this show on air but then yeah she can't even get through four minutes without it being a total train wreck (laughs) yeah but they kind of used this joke already in the night when they did the you know the democrats are back and that whole TV spot was funded by Marco Rubio. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The best thing the Republicans have going for them is just how lame the Democrat leadership is. Yeah. Some very interesting takes on progressive democratic ideas in the show tonight, which is interesting when you see that on SNL, you don't, you don't get a lot of it. So yeah, when some of that pokes through, uh, it's kind of neat to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to put a bookend on Tamika, I'm going to call this a marginal win because I thought conceptually there was a lot of really great stuff going on, but between Leslie's flubs and just kind of how disjointed a lot of it kind of played out, uh, it didn't feel like they quite took this to where I think it needed to go to really be a a great sketch. I would love to see it come back though, because I feel like with a little fine tuning and a little bit of time for the writers to wrap their heads around just how funny the Tamika character could be in derailing her own show. Uh, I feel like there's probably more avenues for them to go down. I'd love to love to see it again when they can really zero in on that. Yeah. Moving on. We get another pre-tape. Two researchers use unorthodox methods while teaching a dolphin to speak. 
Ah, uh, ah. <laughs> I was disturbed, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, they kind of like danced around what they were doing. They came as close to saying what they were doing without saying what they were doing, but it was all but obvious, right? Well, I think they were pretty plain about it. I don't think there was any like veil or any, I don't think they were obscuring what was going on. I think, I think the researchers, because they're so clinical and scientific in their approach, there's nothing shameful about it. This is just science. So they, they're quite happy to speak very plainly and directly about this clinical thing that they are doing to this dolphin. Yeah. But the dolphin likes shame. <laughs> yeah. Yes. The dolphin likes shame. <laughs> so I, I don't think that this was an, an exercise in innuendo. I think that this was just an exercise in putting out just a, a, a very repellent thought <laughs> and reveling in it for a few minutes. That's, that's my thought on it. Yeah. Like, I don't think I had both ass cheeks on my seat while this was, okay. <laughs> while this was on. Cause I was just squirming like, can this be over now? So really like as comedy, you weren't, you weren't digging it. Like you were just really hoping that this would fly by and you could stop thinking about, uh, lewd acts on dolphins. Oh no, no. Like I ha- definitely had that reaction, but it was like a welcome challenge to my comfort level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like it was a funny, uncomfortable All right. and it was a funny gross out. So what does it say about me that I was lapping this up, that there wasn't a moment of squirming. Uh, this was just like pure joy in my heart. Like, <laughs> What does that say about me that I don't know? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a that's a scary thought. How many times did your family take you to SeaWorld as a child? Obviously not enough because I have some kind of unwholesome fixation with uh, marine life that <laughs> I've never quite got to the bottom of. No, I love this. I thought that this was hilarious. Uh, from start to finish, the production of it, like the, the film grain and the like Ken Burns uh, still shot pans that they did like everything about the documentary feel of it i felt was really sharp but just the willingness to throw out this idea unveil it and just swim in it for a few minutes so to speak yeah (laughs) i i just i really thought that that was great comedy yeah for sure before we move on though i have to give a shout out to reddit user lila2398 because they brought to my attention the fact that this sketch is based on an actual bbc documentary and the subject matter is very very true not just that you know in the 60s people trained dolphins to speak but that one of the methods that they used to help the dolphins to learn (laughs) was in fact this very act so this is not as absurd or outlandish as you might think that this is actually something that took place and the fact that they frame this as a bbc documentary is not an accident they are spoofing a legit bbc documentary that deals with that exact subject matter so there's a little little food for thought yeah and uh, also a quick shout out to Anna Dresden, who wrote this with AD and Kate. Uh, I think they really, really had some fun with it. And uh, I appreciate it. A lot of good stuff here. Moving on. We are at our 10 to 1 sketch. And it's Whiskers Are We. We are very familiar with Whiskers Are We. It is a drop the host next to Kate and let stupidity flow for three minutes. Did we want to see this? Is this how we want to end the night? What are your thoughts? I just really like cats. Okay. Yes. Yes. We've, we've established that you are most definitely a cat person. I love my little kitty, (laughs) my little kitty cat, (laughs) little kitty cat. Yeah. These are always fun. It's a very much a formulaic sketch. Although they did throw in a new element with cat Williams. 
But yeah, I, I always love these sketches because they anthropomorphize all the cats with, <laughs> you know, instead of describing their temperament or their coat, mm-hmm. they have all these very strange adult Human failings, yes. <laughs> Human failings, exactly. So it's simple, but it makes me laugh. Yeah, this is a pretty easy sketch. Uh, I never give it high marks because it is very much the paint by numbers, just drop the host in. And, it, you know, there's there's nothing really great. There's nothing really reinvented each time they, they come back to it. So it's fun. It's always amusing. You can never know what the cats are going to do in any given moment. So the the chaos of having all those animals on the stage is always amusing. And, you know, Kate took a swipe tonight. So, you know, that got a gasp from the audience. There's always fun things to take away from it, but this isn't brilliant. So I I can't give it high marks, but I can say, yeah, yeah, it's always fun. It's, it's amusing. I enjoyed it. You know what? When that Sphinx was put into her arms, I could just see in that cat's face that it was going to go off. Yeah. I had a feeling, man. Yeah. (laughs) I was like that cat, nobody, really likes those kinds of cats anyway. Those hairless cats freak everybody out. Sure. (laughs) And this is definitely not good PR for them. Yeah. Their adoption numbers are going to plummet now. The show has done a terrible disservice to all the hairless cats that are going to be, well, (laughs) we we don't need to say what their fate's going to be if they're not adopted, but anyways. (laughs) Uh, Okay. And that is our rundown. Before the good nights, they throw up a title card in memoriam of George Corrado, who was a production sound man at the show. So that's obviously something that we'd want to just briefly call attention to. We appreciate everyone that puts in their time in trying to make the show great. And uh, when someone's lost, that's always a tragedy. And so uh, we wish his family well. Yes. And I second that. Yeah. Moment of the night. Yeah. My moment of the night is going to the Kristen Schaal impression mm-hmm. that Heidi Gardner did in the, uh, the Lion King pre-tape. Yep. Uh, just so spot on. The way she held her face, the makeup, the voice, the (laughs) delivery. It was just, it was crazy. Yeah. So that's my moment. Yeah, it's mine as well. And uh, I'm glad you picked it, but I was going with it regardless. Uh, This was just another stunning moment from a featured player uh, at a time when it's so critical. Like these are the the make or break moments where someone's going to establish themselves and make it obvious to the producers of the show that there's no way that they should even consider maybe not bringing them forward for another season. And uh, she's doing it at this point, like with the amount of versatility that she's showing. She came into the show with an original character that landed pretty well for a 10 to one sketch. She followed it up with a really great weekend update spot that also landed really well. That shows that uh, she really can zero in on tropes and she, you know, can bring that kind of material and really generate for the show. And then tonight she's showing that she's got serious chops just as a pure impressionist. And can you ask for more from a featured player than that? I think she's doing really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really happy to see that. You always want to see the featured players come into their own and it's neat to see it happen this quickly. Yeah. Best sketch. It's going to have to be the uh, Kyle and Leslie (laughs) love story pre-tape. The latest installment to the series. They usually are my favorite when they come on, I think. Yeah. I think I often pick this one as my sketch of the night whenever they do one. So I guess I'm boring, but I like what I like. <laughs> no, they're they're always strong. They've been great, and uh, I love them too. Yep. Because you went with it, that means I don't have to because it's going to get its props. So I'm actually going to give it to Cecily's Claire the HR person on Weekend Update. Oh, sure. Doing her sexual harassment guideline seminar. Sure. When the show finds a really brilliant way to comment on something serious and make it genuinely funny, 
I have to give it props. If I'm going to knock it down when they miss, then I have to build it up when I see it. And I thought that this was just the best way that they could have tackled that kind of topic and the visual aids, you know, the little doll with the cigar, just all these little moments were, were so much fun. Uh, Joe did a really good job playing offer. Like there was a really good rhythm to the whole piece and, uh, it, it was darn near perfect. The only thing that kind of fizzled a little bit was just her last joke didn't land quite right. Cause she's pumping Purell in her mouth. And so <laughs> the audience wasn't quite sure when, when to jump on the joke. So, I mean, there was just that one little stumble, but for just the brilliance of it and the little one-off lines that are each referencing a very specific controversy that's in the news right now, everything that she said, like all of the questions that she was posing, they're all very specific digs at people and situations that have come to light. So they really were able to bake a a lot of really poignant stuff into this. And I, I gotta, I gotta applaud it. I think that's a really good, really good way to tackle that kind of material. So that's my sketch. Okay. Good pick. Yeah. MVP. Yeah. This was a Kate night for me. I'm going with Kate, not for anything specific, but just across the board. She was really instrumental in this show being as good as it was. Sure. Yeah. I got to give it to her for carrying a lot of weight. Okay. Yeah. I think Kate is usually the pretty safe choice because she always has a fair amount of screen time and you can always point to at least one or two things where she is able to elevate material that could have fallen flat under other circumstances. Like with the cold open, for example, tonight, her sessions was probably the most redeeming part of that. So, you know, you got to applaud that she's able to bring some funny, even in material that may be a little weak. So uh, I can totally respect that. I was thinking about giving it to her, but because you did, I'm giving it to Tiffany Haddish. I think that as a host and particularly as a first time host, she was a real force tonight. She had a lot of energy. She was very funny. Like just the way that she was able to find characters and commit to them and just really leave it all on the stage. Uh, I, I think she really brought her a game and really showed that she's a, she's a real performer. That's really adept at sketch comedy. So uh, I think that's worth a nod. Yeah. Okay. So let's round this out here on a scale of classic, great, decent week or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? You know, I'm giving it a very, very strong, decent. Okay. Uh, right at the border. Sticking with decent because I did enjoy a lot of what I watched. Despite that, there were a few sketches that, I don't know, I don't think they even stood a chance just because the, the premise itself was a little weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going with decent too. A lot of the live material was either the tried and true stuff like Whiskers Are We, where you can't really just applaud the originality or brilliance of it. Or it was just pretty middle of the road stuff that just never really got to where they probably wanted it to get. So in the final equation, like so often (laughs) right down the middle for me. Yeah. So that's two. Yep. Now, what I find interesting though, is you gave Larry David a great last week. So are you saying that you think that this show was weaker than Larry David? I don't know. Depends on how you uh, distribute uh, the data. You can dance around it all day, but gun to your head. Would you seriously say that this was the weaker of the two? Cause I'm, I'm feeling like Larry David was a step down from what we got this week. I feel like this was the better of the two personally. So like in hindsight, do you still feel like this should be placed below Larry David? Um, yes. Okay. Totally. All right. Just because I said that already and <laughs> I don't back down. I respect you sticking with it. Uh, all right. That's commendable. I can live with that. Yes. Commend me for that. Takes guts. All right, you got anything else brilliant to say? No, I think that's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. 
And thanks as well to our repertory player patron, Jonathan Jordan. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Chance the Rapper and musical guest Eminem. This has been episode number 33 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Wow, what a great night. This was a fantastic evening to be the very first African-American female stand-up comedian to host SNL. I am so Earlier this week, North Korea issued a statement calling President Trump a lunatic old man. And a few hours ago, Trump responded by tweeting, why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old? I would never call him short and fat. (laughs) Now, a lot of times Donald Trump goes way over the line with his tweets, but this time, that was pretty damn funny. (laughs) I mean, look at how vain and catty he is. They're like, you lunatic old man. And he's like, old. (laughs) 